Canine Detection Collaborative, a detection dog training trio with Stacy Barnett. Hi. Robin Grubel. Hey there. And Crystal Wing. What's up? With humor and a big dose of theory, our trio talks practical training advice and features interviews with top trainers and scientists. It's Canine Detection Collaborative! Welcome back to the Canine Detection Collaborative. My name is Crystal Wing, and I am here with two of my favoriteest humans, Stacy Barnett. Hello. And Robin Grubel. Greetings. <laughs> Feel like an earthling when you say that. No, I know. I'm like, I'm, like I, I'm picturing like greetings. Take me to your leader. Yes. <laughs> so you two have been absolutely killing it. I wanted to take this opportunity to interview the two of you. So I want to talk about Robin with her FEMA certification that she flew all the way to California with a Dutch Shepherd on an airplane. I yeah, that's going to be yes. a fun story and. Stacy, I couldn't keep up with your travels, so I can't wait to touch base and and learn all the things. How many summits have you been to? Has it been three? Uh, we did. I did three back to back weekends of summits. Yep. Yeah, and now you're doing another one this upcoming weekend. So I'm volunteering this weekend. I didn't okay. get in. Okay. I wish I got in. I wish. I got in. And then uh, when this airs, it just means that that just happened a couple days ago. And then also what just happened a couple of days ago, which is weird to say because it hasn't happened until tomorrow, is Robin's getting her new knee. Yes. So Ooh. yeah, kind of been on operating dark because right now I'm so busy getting through puppies, getting through certifications, getting everything sort of set up to be doing rehab for the next eight to 12 weeks. Wait, wait, you said a magical word. What? Puppies. Puppies. Yes. We have nine lovely puppies. Why would you take on puppies when you're getting a knee replacement? Because I have fabulous friends, meaning Julia and Alyssa, who said, if you breed Flair and Dash, you we will raise the puppies while you're down. Wow. Yeah. And so... I actually have one puppy available if anybody is looking for their next sport or detection prospect at this point. And probably by the time this airs, that'll already be done. <laughs> and possibly. <laughs> right. They're amazing dogs. Yes. Yeah. The repeat in the first litter was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so we've, I know we've got two from the last litter who have already started competing in nose work and have their ORT titles at, you know, less than 10 months. So the search dog candidates are busy doing search dog training. So, and then Flash is my puppy out of the last litter that I kept. And she's everything I wanted to have of the breeding. So super excited about that. Yeah. And they're all yellow. So, <laughs> Well, they're, they're kind of, aren't they red? The fox red? Some of them are fox red or they have fox red overtones. Oh, ooh, that yes. sounds fancy. Yeah. Which just means they have like the tips of their fur box red. So gotcha. if you're interested, um, we'll put it's Dog Day Acres Labrador Retrievers, especially on the Facebook page. We share lots of pictures of the puppies and all sorts of things. Even you mean you, of the potatoes? The, the, the <laughs> potatoes, they're three pound potatoes at this point. <laughs> but they're like the color of sweet potatoes, right? Yes. And 
Julia is doing a fantastic job. We are actually, there were two weeks in. So we're hitting the point where Flair is starting to cut back feedings a little bit. Their eyes just started opening. So they'll go ahead and we'll start feeding them puppy mash probably in the next couple of days. Wow. So maybe they can actually see where they're going because they're all running like crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little mosh pit and you're like, they're running into stuff. Well, they take about three steps at this point and fall over. Aww. So yeah, so they're they're doing okay. I'm going to propose, uh, Stacy. I think while Robin's down, let's mm. interview Julia. <laughs> oh, I don't think she Julia yes. needs to be... She said yes, yes. Oh, because I don't think she'll be super happy about it, really, but... <laughs> no, she said yes. I already asked her. Oh, okay. So, That's yeah. awesome. Because she's a little introverted. <laughs> yes, she is. Our little but, turtle finder. <laughs> yes, could not do this without her. So, yeah, we fabulous. can talk about her turtle surveys and raising your puppies and... And her collar being business. An intern. Yeah, her collar business. I know, her collar business. So you guys can do that while I'm on lots of drugs. <laughs> and then we probably need to interview while you're on lots of drugs too, just because. <laughs> that would be entertaining, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, we do have our 100th episode coming up. Mm-hmm. So that could be a good <laughs> oh my episode gosh. celebration. We do a live with Robin on drugs. <laughs> yes. Uh, mm, uh, yay, pain meds. <laughs> <laughs> no, we wish you lots of success tomorrow and hopefully yay. you're, uh, you're you know, excited for all the future. And I am very excited to not be in pain. That would be lovely. Yeah. yeah. We're all sending you lots of love and support. So, Yay. so let's talk about some things. So let's go to Stacy. Mm-hmm. Your summit experience. It, it's, I was even kind of laughing about the episode. Like we should call it like conquering summit because like you said in some of your posts, I love some of the things you've written in your posts. Uh, it's, it's been fun. Can you give us like your stats? Like you, you posted a whole bunch of stats on a Facebook oh, post that I thought was yeah, really fascinating. No, I, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to brag with those. I was just trying to like say that perspective. You know, I, it was just perspective. It's just yeah. Perspective. I think there have been, uh, my understanding is like forty four ish summits since two thousand eighteen. I was in the very first summit, and I've done personally. I've done thirteen of them. I have titled now in eight of them. So eight of those 13 I titled with three different dogs. So Judd had three titles. Brava now has three. Powder now has two. And I've been in the top six. Actually, the top, because even though the top six is in titling, it's just Powder just missed it by 15 seconds. Um, but we'll talk about that later. The top six, I think 11 out of those 13 times. So it's a definitely a, a level that you know I enjoy and and that my dogs are are definitely. Definitely having fun in. Can you kind of share? Because I didn't know until you shared it with me, and I'm sure that a lot of people know, but some don't. Mm-hmm. Can you explain a little bit what a summit is? And then also, can you kind of say, because you said possibly you're in the first one and you know all of these experiences, mm-hmm. how have summits changed over time? Okay, sure. So a summit is a two day trial, and it's basically it's the tip top level in the sport anywhere. Basically, it's the most challenging and advanced level kind of in the world at this point. And it's it's a level in the National Association of Canine Scent Work and ACSW and was created after the last National Invitational happened back in 2017. That 
was a very expensive endeavor. So they ended up, they needed something. So they created Summit. Summit is a level that if you have an elite champion, meaning you're finished at the elite level, you can enter. You can also enter if you're almost finished, you have an elite free, but basically you're not going to get in unless the child doesn't fill because they, they fill the champions first. Originally you could get in, but now things have changed unless you go out to the certain parts of the country where maybe people don't want to drive as much. So you would say that most trials filled in? Oh, yeah. That's the reason why I'm not competing in Delaware. I think I'm number 44 on the wait list or something like that. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't get into that one. Basically, it's you compete over two days and there's eight different searches that you compete in. So every time you find a hide, you earn five points. Every time you get a false alert, you get minus two and a half. If you uh, time out, you get minus two and a half. And at the end of the two days, they tally up every score everybody's score and the top, well, they say 20%, but honestly they round down. So like there's 28 dogs this weekend. That's, that's, that's what they max out at. There'll be five titles. Uh, when I was in uh, Colorado, there were 19 dogs. So there were only three titles. So that was actually 15%, but it's basically, they test the versatility of the team. It's, they test all the different skills you can think of speed, stamina, skills, uh, strategy, uh, all the S words, right? You know, just basically a skills, you know, that kind of thing. So it's kind of the extreme of everything. That's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of pressure too. Because a lot of the time, like they, they, they squeeze the time, they make the search areas sometimes a little bit bigger or a lot bigger. I think we could probably do an episode just on Summit. And we talked about the Ds of detection. We should talk about the S's of Summit. Actually, it's the S's of search. Ah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Because, I like it. Yep. So I think there's a webinar in the making. <laughs> there is a webinar in the making, or we'll do it as a podcast after I get off drugs. Yes. Or there it could be go. our round table too. That could be. Oh, fun. that's a good idea. Fun too. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. know. Look at us. Yeah. Um, how have the summits changed over time? Do you think have they like have they changed? Well, I don't know. I don't know if they've changed. I, I know. I mean, right now, this when they started there were only 25 dogs and basically the very first summit because of that 24 dogs actually showed up and I came in fifth place. Lucky me. So, so that was, that was the one title that Judd missed. Uh, he, he got it on the other three, but he, uh, it started with 25. Now they've bumped it up to 28. But as far as the searches go, I don't think it's really changed all that much. What I, I think that has changed is that I think the competitors are a lot more savvy. There's another S for you. I think they're the the skill level of the competitors has really has really increased in the last five years. So I think it's a little bit more competitive, honestly, for the most part. So would you guys both be willing to talk about some of your traveling experiences? So if I I'm just I can't imagine what you guys have done. And it's you've traveled in such amazing ways. So like Stacy sleeping in your van and, yeah. in, you know, in the airports <laughs> with the, how big is Nico now? He's 78 pounds. Dutch Shepherd, werewolf scorpion, yeah. lovingly. Yes. lovingly. <laughs> and we mm-hmm. call him werewolf because he's kind of got this like black kind of intense stare, scruffiness that, and not scruffy, but like. Well, his, his coat. Dutch Shepherd coat. Well, his coat is not smooth. Like you see a lot of the Dutch Shepherds and Malinois. He has a throwback coat. So it's a little bit longer and he almost looks like he has a little bit of a mane. 
he does. He, it's really cool when you see him like in darkness. I really, and we need to do this, this next summer. I really want to take some black on black photos with him. Yeah. Oh my God, he'd be gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would love to do that. Get their lighting right. Oh, he's yeah. gorgeous. So, oh, and then the scorpion part, where does that come? He has the non-standard tail that flips up over the back and it looks like a scorpion tail. So it's, it's, it's not as tight as a Samoyed or something like it, that. Scorpion. If you picture scorpion, that's it, it, yeah, that's, perfect. that's how it, it looks. Yeah. And so, yeah, walking through, it was really funny because I was really paranoid walking through him with the airport because my last experiences flying have been with a lab oh, and it was yeah. with Moses and everybody wants to touch your dog. <laughs> and Uh-oh. so I have Nico's in his, his vest and he's got his collar on and it says, do not pet on it in really big letters. And one of the guys who's on our FEMA team, who is flying out there to be an evaluator looked at me and he's like, Robin, I really don't think you need the do not pet sign. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. In all fairness, my friend, Nancy, my training buddy. So she has a German shepherd. He is not an approachable looking character. And like, he looks at you like, would you like to have a conversation? Right. And she has to get a vest. And on that vest, on each side, she special order to all these different ones. On one side, it's nope, nada, not today. On the other side, it's never, don't touch. Like it's just all these different ways of right. saying no. <laughs> and people will still say, can I pet your dog? <laughs> right. He did fabulous in the airport. And one of the things that I want to definitely mention to people is Nika wore a muzzle in the airplane mm-hmm. because my stress level was significantly lower because he was wearing a muzzle. He at no point showed me at any situation in the whole trip that he needed a muzzle. But I also can't control the woman with the toddler that's sitting right behind me. Right. Right. And so it's as much for his protection as it is for other people's protection. And it helps keep my stress level significantly lower. And It was really interesting because I only had one time where he threw a temper tantrum on the plane. What does that mean? He got very, very vocal and was like, I'm going to tell you I have feelings and I'm going to bark about them and I'm going to whine. Yeah. What did people do? The person sitting next to me got up and stood in the aisle. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm like, dude, totally get it. So wait, you're not even in an aisle seat? Where were you? This was the one time they had set us against the window. Did they at least get you a bulkhead? No, I was in the back in the cheap seats. How did you fit him in those? You didn't even fit your knees in those seats. Uh, This is true. So bless the airline's heart. You're tall. Yeah, you're six foot and he's 70, how many pounds? 76. (laughs) I'm like picturing you. (laughs) And you have a bum knee. And I have a bum knee. With a Dutch shepherd on your lap, basically. Yeah, well, and so we did a really, really good job of the people sitting next to me. I only had one super full flight and that was from Denver to Des Moines. And how many flights did you have? Four. We had to fly to Denver, from Denver to California. 
Ontario airport. And then we did the reverse on the way back. And we only had like a 45 minute layover on the way back out of Denver. So that was the flight going into Denver that he literally had a temper tantrum. And I actually think it's because he couldn't see what was going on. Yeah. Right. And the poor guy ate like a pound of cookies going out and coming back. His tummy was not happy, but he was quiet. Uh And except for that one landing, or actually it wasn't even the landing. It was the deplaning portion. And I basically looked at him and said, you're going to throw a fit. I don't care. We're going to sit here until everybody is off the plane. There you go. And it turned into a huge training opportunity for him. And the nice thing was then we walked really fast to our next plane and got on the plane and flew home. So I haven't done a lot of traveling, especially I've done none with the dog. Where did they go potty? Like what, how, what, how? Just tell me how. You end (laughs) up, so like he didn't get breakfast. I made sure to take him for a really, really long walk. So he went to the bathroom. And if you think about it, even if we're leaving, we left and through a flight and all of the stuff, it's only about eight hours. And so I started looking at it as, you know what, that's basically a day at work. And they do have service dog relief areas in a lot of airports, but Nico was absolutely horrified and was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'll hold it, thanks. (laughs) And that's literally all it is. And I, of course, have, when I fly, I have garbage bags and towels and wet wipes and all sorts of stuff in my carry-on. So in case we do have a crash, I'm sort of prepared for it. That's a big crash. Yes. And crash is probably not a good choice when you're talking about being on a plane. I'm sitting there going, you know what? I don't think the wet wipes are really going to help you if you go down in flames. No. Again, down in flames, not a good choice. We're talking about an airplane. (laughs) (laughs) Very correct. But it's one of those... He was leaving a lot of hair. And so it was like trying to, and one of the poor women that sat next to me was wearing white pants. (laughs) Sorry. I know. I was just like, I'm so sorry. She's like, it's okay. Somebody else was like, my cat is going to think this is really interesting. (laughs) So, Because what I do is they're theoretically supposed to sit under your feet, like carry on luggage. That was my next question. Yeah. Yeah. But he's tall enough that he can't fit there. And so what we ended up doing is have backing him in underneath our legs. And so uh, in a seat of three, me and the next person next to me have dogs under our legs. And the person on the third seat next to the window has a tail. (laughs) And I still have to, you know, because his feet can't hang out over into the aisle. Otherwise they're going to get squished. So the entire flight, I'm using my feet to jockey where his feet are so that he doesn't get his feet stepped on. And so you're, you're with other female handlers in the same flight then? Not this time I was not. Oh, okay. Right. Because they had handlers from Virginia and Texas and, oh gee, Colorado and all sorts of places that were there and flying out of California, everybody has their own flights. And so 
the Texas people were lucky. I think they had a direct flight. So no pun intended, but why is California the hotspot? So the system, so meaning the FEMA system approves testing opportunities and you have to have rubble piles that meet certain criteria and all of those sorts of things. And I I believe it was California 8 was running, happened to run the test and they were running live find day one and human remains detection day two. And so Nico's cert was up at the end of November. And so that was the only test this fall because of how the system works and approves tests that we could go to. So that was the one we went to. Wow. Yeah. So my last travel question, and then I'll bug Stacy. So get ready for it, Stacy. <laughs> You're traveling with a scorpion werewolf Dutch shepherd <laughs> yes. for this really important certification. Yes. I mean, this is a unique experience. <laughs> uh, yes. So how are you trying to maintain this balance between the seriousness of the certification, but making sure that he's comfortable and at ease and you're comfortable and at ease? Like how, how did you balance all of that? We went in a day early. Ah, so that helped you manage your stress a little? Helped me manage my stress a little. He got to go. I purposefully took him for walks because there was about a 40 degree difference between where we were at in Iowa and where they were at in Riverside. And so I was very conscious. Was that much colder? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know when we would go because they were starting at seven in the morning and they allow an hour for each rotation. So our technical go time was 10 o'clock and you're on a rubble pile. It's full sun. There's no shade. And so we walked out. I was taking him for hour long walks. We got in early enough that I took him out and we played fetch in the heat, in the sun. And then the next day we did three walks in the heat to try and acclimate him and get him ready for certification. And then the nice thing was everything ran ahead of time. So we ended up testing at like nine. Wow. So, and that was okay. And then we were back at the hotel taking a nap by 10 o'clock, which was good. This one could probably go for both of you. So Stacy, if, if you'll answer it first, and then Robin, if you think of anything you want to add, traveling for Stacy extensively <laughs> and Robin for this like massive across country thing on a plane, you know, I, I'm, I'm imagining this is really demanding. So how do you manage the well-being of, you know, your, of your canine partners? Like, how are you making sure that they're the best for their certification or trial? Uh, well, I would say because I'm in a car, I have a lot more flexibility. And basically as I was driving, I was looking for training opportunities, places where I could get my dogs out, do some searches, or if it's uh, kind of nice, do a little bit of obedience work, that sort of thing. And then on the weekends, I rented an Airbnb and I tried to pick Airbnbs with, with yards. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. That way they could get out and kind of get some sniffing in just like recreational sniffing and just kind of stretch your legs a little bit. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I will be completely upfront with that. And uh, Y has a hot spot, So he's been the last few weeks in a cone. So. Oh, poor buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. So he's been with his cone every time I turn around. He's been, he's really 
he's been really difficult. He just comes running up to you, goes bam, and it hurts. <laughs> at me. And then, then I'm like searching with the other dogs, and he's like, I want to turn. And I'm like, not with your cone, dude. So, oh, poor buddy. Yeah, but he, he gets to compete on Sunday. He's going to do a half day of a new level called Elite Select. So, looking forward to that at least. So do you feel like that keeps them in good condition? Like they're, they're ready to go. Do you feel like you can dedicate the time you need? I wish I could do more. I'm going to be honest with you. I want to do it longer than what I've done now. And what I can say is that I'm very fortunate that my dogs are like all in all the time. So it's really less of an issue and they're very used to travel. So you know, I get them out as much as I can. I, you know, let them stretch their legs as much as I can. We do, you know, we try it. Well, I mean, we, we train, we do all that kind of thing, but I just do my best. I do my best. Yeah. The ideal? No, but. I'm going to say you, you did pretty awesome. So, <laughs> and we'll get there in just a second. <laughs> and this is, it's also one of those things that I think about like Bristol and Ducati. I picked them up in Tennessee. And yeah. we drove home. So they immediately were like, oh, we do long road trips. Yeah. I mean, my dogs are like, oh, this is my, this is my crate. No big deal. Yeah. Like, like they're used to driving. They're used to being in there. Right. And it is the the understanding, like, I think I paid $8 to drive to the back of a park and Nico and I spent 15 minutes playing fetch. And then we went on a half an hour walk. He got a little bit of food and some water. And I, it was a really nice park. Threw him back in the van or the car, and that was our outing. Yeah, and it's just enough to help decompress a little bit. And I was throwing a frisbee for him, and it reminded me why I don't throw frisbees for him. Yeah, and it's terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. And I was like, "Don't get hurt." We're like a day before the test. No, we are not going to do this because you know we have to jump to the moon to retrieve the frisbee. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Yeah. Please I mean, don't get injured. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like same thing. It's like I would look for places like that, but I was more just trying to get my dogs to search in the climate that they were going to yeah. have to search. Right. And doing some of the sniffer stuff. So exactly. And you know, the FEMA dogs and a lot of the search dogs are very used to, I mean, what Stacy does for Summit, that they're like, okay, yeah, let's jump in the car for four hours. Let's get out and we search for. 45 minutes yeah, to an hour. But a plane is a little different. A plane is a little different. <laughs> it's a little more squishy. Well, and <laughs> I did not realize how spoiled I am with all of the stuff I have in my car. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Cause it's just like, wow. Don't forget anything. Yeah. Yeek. So Stacy, juggling three summits back to back. I am so impressed and so inspired. I'm curious though your strategies, because you had to stay focused. You had to keep your energy. It's a really intense schedule. You know, what kind of self-care did you do? What did you prioritize? Just, you know, a lot for you. Uh-huh. Uh, for me, uh, sleep. Really making sure I was getting my sleep. But how did you do that? Because, okay, so where did you go from place to place? What states? Oh, let's see. I left home, which is in New Jersey. And we went and we trialed in Minnesota. With Brava. So Brava did, she was fourth overall and got her SMTX3 or third summit title in Cannon Falls, Minnesota. 
Then I went to Union, Illinois, by way of Kansas City to stop off and see Christy Rock, our, our other uh, host, or our other guest that we had, right? She's awesome. Yes, she really is. So this, it just kind of hung, kind of made a little a detour there. Then went up to Illinois, trialed powder in the Illinois summit. At a, it was actually really cool. It was at an Illinois Railway Museum. And we missed a title by 15 seconds, which is crazy. So from there, I kind of did a long way around, like dropped down through Santa Fe to come up into Colorado because I was uh, trying to avoid some weather. And uh, we were in the Montrose, Colorado summit. She was high in trial. So she got her second title. So, and then I came then I came back through, now I'm in Delaware to, uh, to volunteer, but, uh, and then I'll go home to New Jersey. Any idea how many hours you were on the road? Nope. <laughs> and you don't <laughs> want to think about it either. <laughs> hey, how many miles? I'm like, I have no idea. Thousands. Wow. Wow. A lot. Many. Uh, Lots. Yeah. yeah. A lot. A lot. So a lot. sleep is part of your self-care. If you're, I mean, you're, you're basically traveling through the entire week just to get to the next weekend, right? Yeah, but you know what? I stop. I stop whenever I need to, and I make sure I get enough sleep. Which sounds a little crazy because I, I did say I was uh, sleeping in my van. But people are probably picturing like sleeping in your van. Like I literally have a four-inch mattress that I can lie flat. And because it's been a little chilly, like you know how you sleep really well when it's kind of cold. Mm-hmm. I am like out, like out. <laughs> I have one of those Jackery generators because I'm old. I need a CPAP, so that takes care of that. And Basically, it's just, it's actually really comfortable. So I take care of sleep, you know, make sure I sleep. Also, I do not have any sort of alcohol be like the week of or before a trial so that I keep mentally aware and, and kind of focused. I also uh, do a lot of like kind of, I have certain playlists of my music and everything to just try to help me keep kind of in the zone and feeling positive and the hard part was that I was also teaching at the same time. So that was my next question. <laughs> yeah, I had my computer, so I had to do that as well, which is, it was actually, that's actually, that was probably the hardest part. Like just making sure that I spent, cause it's, it takes time, right? I feel that in my soul. I don't know why when I travel and go to seminars, I just cannot bring myself to get the computer out, to sit there and look at a computer screen. I'm like, I just can't. The issue is focus. Yeah, I actually left my computer at yeah. home for this trip. Yeah, I've quit bringing it. So like when I taught in Kansas a couple of weeks ago, I was like, no, I, I'm not going to bring it. I know I'm not going to get it out. Like why torture myself and feel guilty for not doing it? Right. Because, and I had it different because I did it for an extended weekend where Stacy's been on the road for like three weeks. Yeah, that's huge difference. And you had to do that, but you also had you had driving days and you could pick your driving days and then you're like, okay, I have to stop and work and do forums and all of that sorts of yeah. people think that the whole, you know, working for yourself thing is easy and it's not. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, dude, guys, like after I'm done with my summit, like when you all want to like relax and think about your searches for the next day, I literally am going back to the Airbnb, opening up the computer and reviewing videos. So right. It's and then the hard part of that is that you are that because you, you can only focus on one thing at a time. So instead of necessarily being able to like go through like these are my searches tomorrow, this is my strategy. I'm like, 
you know, like, you know, you need to, you know, be, be clear in your market. This is the feedback to, to other people, be clear in your markers. Like it's all thinking about other teams when it's, so it's really hard because then you have to kind of have this mental gymnastics to kind of think about to prepare yourself. And that, that I think was actually the hardest part. It's also really cool though. I'm thinking about as a student of yours, I can imagine that, because do they know that you're at summit when you're giving oh, this yeah. feedback? Oh yeah. So that's got to feel kind of cool too, as a student to go, I'm getting kind of this feedback from someone that's in a thing right now and learning even more every second. Like that has to be pretty cool as a student, I would think. Like, do they comment about that? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't really talk about, I couldn't talk about the the searches themselves until later. No, but like they could say good luck and that kind of stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, the students are great. They're really great because they would say, you know, Hey, good luck, you know, thinking about you and, you know, I hope your searches are great and everything. So that was actually really special. And I really, so I don't want to sound like I was complaining. It's like, it is hard teaching, but at the same time, like I have amazing students and they were just, they were just super supportive. And if it makes you feel any better. I didn't perceive it as complaining. I started off by saying, I don't know how you do it. Oh, okay. Okay. I just went, yeah. It really when wasn't. it comes to traveling, uh, like I want to be a dog trainer when I grow up. And because, uh, you know, when I retire in four years, like I was <laughs> you are a dog trainer. So, but you know what I mean? Like, I want that to be my, I think, you know, I don't have oh. to have my day job of teaching art. Like I, I can just focus all in on the dogs and I, I'm already like, whoa, I had to do because <laughs> I'm getting ready to start my functional obedience class online and just going from working all day, looking at a computer and helping kids to then going home and then getting on a computer again to give feedback. Yeah. I feel like that's really similar and it's so hard. That's, it's <laughs> right? But it's, I love it. You know, I, I love this, the students. And when I get on there, I'm like, yeah, yay you. But oof, I feel yeah. it. Yeah. So I didn't take it as complaining. Hopefully nobody else oh, did okay. either. Well, well, that, and then I also had to switch dogs. So like I had Brava on the first weekend and then I had Powder for the second too. So it was like, not only was I kind of thinking about the gymnastics of like focusing on all these different things, but like they're totally different. All right. What are your strategies? Do you have anything you can think of that you could share with people to help them? My strategies for like that shift of focus between dogs and yeah, I think one of the things is just, it's all about just being in the moment. Right. And after that, the hard part after a summit is that you tend to feel exhausted. So there really wasn't time to kind of get over that. Like where you're just like, I feel dead. Like I had to start to kind of refocus on the next dog. To do that, you know, I did train as I as I was driving. I would stop and I would just make sure that I would set searches appropriate for that dog that I was going to be trialing. And I just really kind of focused like one step at a time. So heading out to Minnesota, I wasn't thinking about Illinois or Colorado. Like that, that wasn't even on the radar. Like I was just thinking about just Brava, just Minnesota. And I think staying really positive and staying in a very upbeat type of mindset really helped. And the cool part is, is that I'm actually really, really excited about this because this was probably the first time at this level that I haven't actually been nervous. And although wow. I've, I, I felt that way at Elite for a long time now, but I would say like these three trials, like I wasn't nervous. I just went and I, I just enjoyed it. I just really just enjoyed working with my girls. I, that okay. makes me jealous because like the FEMA certifications right now, we do them once every three years. Yeah, you're not doing it. <laughs> right. And it's just part of the system type of thing. 
And the interesting thing that we have conversations about a lot as handlers is the fact that when you get into a certification or a trialing, unless you have a lot of experience, we call it testing brain. Yeah. Where you... Oh, I still experienced that. I yes. just wasn't nervous about it. Right. So I just keep so. That became one of those things where this time I was like, okay, I'm going to make sure my dog has fun. I'm not yeah. going to do stupid stuff. Right. And it's, and having evaluators, because we have the, the way that they set up the tests, you've got two or three people standing on your pile. And then you have an evaluator that walks with you and asks you questions as you're working your dog. That's distracting. It is distracting, but it's also really helpful because they can ask you a question and you can talk your way through it. Normally, it's something that you would do. No, I'm not going to do this stupid thing out in the real world. I would handle my dog and it'd be fine. But because I have testing brain, (laughs) right? I'm going to do something really dumb and they'll, so they can ask you a question. They don't give you the test. Okay. They don't tell you where anything is at. You still have to mark where you think source or the person is. You can still fail with all of that stuff. Your dog can still walk odor. Yeah. And so, but it's part of the whole process of, getting that third-party validation out there that, yeah, on this day at this time, my dog did this. Yeah. I'm curious, Robin, you know, how did you prepare for this FEMA level certification? Did you, especially on the way, so like Stacy, you're able to stop and train and kind of keep your skills and, and keep the, the dog kind of primed and ready and keeping yourself ready. And you're kind of choosing your, your tasks, I guess, to kind of keep your confidence up. Yep. Robin? That's not like you can just find a, a, a pile, you know. Right. <laughs> or some dead guy. Oh, that right? pile looks great. Right. Let me come over here. Let's go. I bet there's a dead guy in that field, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Testing prep for me started two and a half months ago. And so it became how many different piles can I get him on in the the leading up to certifications? I know that there's food distractions and clothing distractions on the pile. Can we set those up so it's in his repertoire? And the big thing is to not do this on your home pile because the dogs, right. They know the airflow. They know the airflow. They know know how to navigate the pile. They know when we show up at this, it's the same thing everybody experiences when you show up at a situation and you're like, my dog is really good when we go to dog class, but when I go to a new ring, they're like, I don't know, you're speaking some foreign language. Right. And so it's that generalization process to make sure that, no, okay, guess what? Not only do you do this on our home pile, but you do it on this pile, you do it on this pile, you run over the top of quesadillas and all sorts of things. Yeah. I don't even know what they had for food on this pile. I mean, everything from quesadillas, it's typically whatever an evaluator had for dinner the night before. That's what they do for us too. Yeah. For our food refusals, that's exactly what they do. 
they did that for our container searches too. It's like whatever they had for dinner, like the CEO went out to dinner and then like their leftovers get put in boxes. But yeah. So how do they contain... And I know you're interviewed, but I want to ask a question. How do, okay. how do they... Do they do or do they contain the food or they just leave it out? I eat it. No, it's contained. The food is contained. The clothing is contained because what they're actually testing is will the dog do their trained final response on it or not? Oh, oh, like I really want these quesadillas. Exactly. So will they do their trained final response? It's not about the fact, will they walk over food and not eat it? It's will you not do your trained final response? Okay. So if they do eat it, there's no penalty? They set the test up wrong. (laughs) Theoretically. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, because it actually says very specifically in the rules that it's just inaccessible to the canine. Ah, okay. So that's kind of interesting though, because on deployments, you're definitely going to have food everywhere that's everywhere. Yes. That's interesting that they don't test that. I mean, even in our sport, they have food on the field. It's training. Well, I mean, you set it up in training and we absolutely know that certifications are snapshots in time to test specific skills. And so we're making sure that the dog is not going to alert on food. If they have a drive-by snack as they're searching, that's a training issue. Let's work on that. Yeah. I mean, you said quesadilla, so... I know. (laughs) I'm just picturing the sheer number of Labradors in the FEMA system. And and they seem to not have a problem. Really? Yep. That's put into the training rotation very early on. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So really in your travel portion... That's not when you're doing any of your training. No. You've already done all of that. You're basically kind of taking that time off and working on acclimation, relationship building, generalization, getting comfortable. Yeah. This is the, for me, flying. You got it or you don't. (laughs) Yeah. At this point, and this was also a recertification for him. And it's one of the other things we do have vetting processes within the teams of, are you ready to certify? And we actually have two stage tests. So in August, July, I don't remember. (laughs) Summer. (laughs) Summer, sometime. I had to do a, we call it an FSA, a fundamental skills assessment. That was in August. Okay, thanks. (laughs) I couldn't remember. (laughs) And so, but that's, we're testing everything from, can you do directionals? Can you... Walk nicely on a leash. Do you have any dog aggression? Do you have any human aggression? Can you do all of the agility? It's like an eight-step test. And then the very, can you do a five-minute downstay while I'm out of sight? Which, by the way, is a total underutilized skill. I will, hands down, one of the, I never left him to go out of sight, but we have practiced a downstay enough that I know I could put him in a downstay and he would stay there until given another cue, which also lowered my level of apprehension about all sorts of things. And so that control is actually, people are like, how often do you train your dog? And I'm like, on odor? If I'm outside of the fundamentals, right? So let's talk puppy up to a year old. We do a lot of odor work because we're associating finding odor 
doing your trained funnel response, all that sort of stuff. But that's might be three days a week. But then the other days we're working on, can you dog in a human world and be a civilized member of society? Because I might have to take you and walk through an airport and I can't have you being a crazy child. <laughs> and and a scorpion so, werewolf that acts like one. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, you have to be a responsible young gentleman or young lady. Yeah. And that takes training and it helps focus the dogs. So don't only think that you only have to train odor work. I was imagining you sitting in your living room watching movies with Joe while you have, you know, Nico planted between your legs and <laughs> Oh, no, cuz you know what? He would that's totally boring for him. But isn't flying on a flight boring? But there's, think about the difference in activity level. And so what I did to prepare for flying with him is we literally went to the busiest shopping mall in the Des Moines metropolitan area. And I sat on a bench with him for an hour and a half. How long was your longest flight? I think the longest flight was two and a half, like a little over two hours. Okay. And I knew once I got him on the plane, that's not going to be such a big of a deal. I was actually more worried about the walking through the airport and sitting in one of the layovers was three hours. And it's really funny, Crystal, you would have been so proud of me. I'm always proud of you. I know. We showed up to get on our flight to come home. And I got there like two and a half hours early because I'm like, I don't want to miss my flight. And I have a dog. And so I just get go into pre-planner mode and get really anal about stuff. And he, I've got my bag open and he pulls out his Frisbee (laughs) in the middle of the airport. (laughs) And you're like, where's the muzzle? (laughs) Yeah. And so you know what we did for an hour? What? Worked on outs. Oh my gosh. (laughs) How are your forearms? Actually, I sat in the chair Uh and I would just hold the Frisbee. And if I would say out and he wouldn't make a move to out fast enough, I let go and I sat there and I played my computer game, my little (laughs) flutter on my tablet. Because one of the things that I wanted to make it very clear to him is out means out. Out doesn't mean a slow out. Yeah. And so I had to have a way of differentiating that for him. And so he learned pretty quick that if you took too long to out, mom's going to sit, you're going to sit there holding the toy and mom's got her head stuck in a computer game and is not paying attention to you. Which works great for a dog that doesn't have like super high possession that he likes the fight and the interaction. Correct. So for him, that works it worked really awesome. And then we ended up doing the, I started introducing his drop it because after about an hour, I'm like, dude, I'm done. And my hands are gross. And <laughs> so I ended up actually doing a drop it so I could take the toy and then stuck it in the bottom of the bag. And then he took a nap. So it was good. <laughs> so we've really kind of only touched on <laughs> getting to the thing. and. Kind of a, a little bit of one so you're there. I clarify because you were talking about training. And I know Robin had said something like, you know, you've got to have the skills before you go. That yes. when I was talking about training, heading, that wasn't teaching new skills. So I just want to be oh, clear for about sure. that. Yeah, good call. It is literally 
getting, it was all about making sure that basically using my dog's brains because they were in their crates so much and working the dog in different, ideally climates that are going to be a little bit closer to what they're going to be trialing in. Because when you only can train in one climate, odor is going to behave very, very differently when you move to another climate. And it's very advantageous to a dog to search in a lot of different climates. Now, granted, I didn't get to do a lot of very uh, low humidity type of stuff, but it's not the first time that my dogs have searched in a low humidity environment or higher elevation. Um, Although Montrose isn't really that high, it's only about 5,500 feet or something like that. But they've had the opportunity to do a lot of, a lot of different climates. And the other thing is also it's, it's all about motivation. It's all about maintaining motivation and drive to source. So not, so even though I call it training, it's not teaching new skills. If the dogs don't have the skills by the time you even enter the trial, like why are you entering? It's, it's something that, I mean, I'm developing these skills right now with prize She's only had three elite trials. And I would say, actually, I could probably enter her in a summit, although she's not eligible for a summit. She'd probably actually do really well. So all of those skills are things that you need to be training beforehand. And they shouldn't be something that, that you're doing in preparation for a trial. And I think I'll add to that. When I'm getting ready for trials for Bitey Sports, I feel like that week before, I'm not building new skills. No, I'm building the relationship and the joy of training. And I'm building confidence for both of us that we both are like, oh yeah, we got this. We're a great team. So would you say that's similar? I was also doing obedience work with Brava because we've been doing a lot of that stuff because of, you know, the fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the confidence building stuff. Well, we were in, um, I found this like really cool fairgrounds in Kansas somewhere. I don't even know where I was. And I'm like, oh, look at that. It's right next to like this like uh, field. I'm like, well, I'm like, I'm like go put some hides. But before, like, well, actually, I did it with all the girls. And then I came back. And on the way back, I'm like, Brava, I've got your, she likes a Kong bouncer, right? And she goes bonkers for that. So I was doing a lot of obedience with her and working on the different types of things, like, you know, and just trying to get her focused and I found like she loves working for that. So it was all about just engagement and just kind of keeping her brain busy. That was really great training for her. So even though, you know, she's not going to need that for searching, it's, it was really, really good for her. So. Yeah. I think we're all on the same page with that. That's, that's kind of cool. So we've, kind of only talked about getting there. There's so much more, especially Stacy, that I want to hear about the details, like the nitty gritty and the searches. And yeah, we can yeah. all talk about it now. And and Robin, I would love to know more about oof, what to expect. And so, but I also know you're having knee surgery tomorrow. So I don't know if you're up for that. <laughs> um, I can. So why don't we actually turn that into a second episode so people can, we'll leave them with a little bit of a cliffhanger. Ooh, I like it. so stacy you have a class coming up oh i have three classes coming up as a matter of fact like three summits (laughs) it's like a magic number (laughs) this episode goes live on november 21st well november 22nd registration goes live 
for my three classes um, that I'll be teaching for December 1st. I have NW170, which is a great introduction to just before odor. So it's literally just a food searching class, but I work on a lot of the different pieces that are really necessary to build a future really good team. It's You learn a lot about... I talk about odor, handling, and all that kind of good stuff in that class. And then I also have my NW... Oh, goodness. What number is that one? That one is 175. 175 is all about building fundamentals. And that is an odor class. It's a really great... It's kind of a, like a good a lower level class to build your primary skills are going to be necessary to build the quality of your searching. I mean, it's a, a lot of different setups and just really kind of fun games and everything that to help to improve things like engagement and sourcing and all that good, kind of good stuff. And then I am teaching NW440, which is a more advanced class. And that is all about sourcing. It's like a sourcing soup to nuts type of deal, which is absolutely essential. So that's my third class. And so those open up on on the 22nd for registration for December 1st. So the timing's kind of fun too. And you talked about fundamentals. I have my fundamentals of obedience, <laughs> all based on fun. <laughs> and so next week, instead of, I've had it as like an open enrollment, so you can enroll anytime. But to hold us accountable, I think we need accountability buddies. And so it has a Facebook group and I give feedback every day. But I haven't been doing that very well. And so we're going to re kind of redo it, revamp it a bit. It's going to be all the same stuff, but it's going to be six weeks of dedicated time together where I'll be checking it. And for that six weeks, you'll get my full attention. Well, I mean, after I get off work. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So after I teach high school kids, then in the evenings, you'll get my attention. And so I'm, I'm really excited about seeing how far some teams can grow. So, hey, join us for that too. So Robin, do you want to head us out? I do. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And make sure you check everything out on our Facebook page. And we will have links to classes and everything in the show notes. So make sure you get registered for those. And everybody, go trade. Canine Detection Collaborative. We appreciate the time you spend with us. If you liked this episode, not only should you follow us so you don't miss the next one, but please also rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. For info on collaborating with us, go to K9DetectionCollaborative.com. That's K9DetectionCollaborative.com, where you can find our socials and pick up our latest monthly freebie. Join us again to talk training in the next episode.